Hey, this is Austin McCormick, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Context is Key podcast. I'm speaking to you from my office in Dixon, Missouri at Shepherd Baptist Church. If you can hear an eerie, kind of fuzzy sound in the background, that's because there's air conditioning going into my office and there's nothing I can really do about it. So I apologize in advance if you can hear those kind of things and it bothers you, but you may just have to deal with it if you're going to be listening to the remainder of this podcast. Hey, I'm really excited to get to talk about the topic that I'm going to be uh, podcasting about today. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah is certainly one of my favorite books of the Bible. Isaiah is one of my favorite books of the Bible because there's so much prophetic, clear, simple pictures of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ all throughout this Old Testament book. This book was written uh, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, obviously, and was penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this book is an extreme encouragement to me, knowing that in a day when the Old Testament is under extreme scrutiny and under extreme attack from leftist, liberal, so-professing Christians that deny the inerrancy of the Bible, I can cling and hold fast to the fact that Jesus is the same Jesus of the Old Testament as he is as the New Testament. Jesus is the God of the Old Testament, and Jesus is the same God as the New Testament. There is no different God as we see a development throughout Scripture. There's not an angry, vengeful, hateful, mean God in the Old Testament and a loving, caring, compassionate, sweet God in the New Testament. It's the same God. Maybe some of the attributes you can see differently throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, and maybe there's different ways that God has revealed himself throughout time, but the, the God does not change. It's a simple fact. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. But that's a little bit of rambling considering the fact that none of that is from the book of Isaiah. Let me uh, be more pointed and talk about the book of Isaiah. Uh, if we look at a macro perspective of the book of Isaiah and the context of Isaiah, there are so many clear pictures of the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ all throughout this amazing book. There are also important doctrines that are taught throughout this book, such as the virgin birth of Christ, or at least prophecies such as the virgin birth of Christ. There is the substitutionary atonement of Christ, and there are also vivid details of how Christ would die. Isaiah's prophecy is an amazing book, of the Bible, but the main emotion in this book wasn't happiness. It was actually judgment. Uh, the time period of the book of this book of the Bible falls under the second half of Israel's kingdom period. If you recall much of your Bible history, you can remember that there was a division amongst the people in the northern kingdom, which was Israel, in the southern kingdom, which was Judah. Israel always always had bad kings. If you have studied this part of the Bible, you'll understand that Israel commonly did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, that which was bad or wrong in the sight of the Lord. And then the southern kingdom was Judah. Now Judah had mostly bad kings, but they also had a few good kings such as oh, I'm Hezekiah, Josiah, and, and other kings that did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. 
Isaiah is preaching to these kings, and Isaiah is telling them to turn from their wicked ways. Isaiah shares with the wicked rulers that there is judgment coming for Israel. But although there is judgment coming, there is hope in the sun that Isaiah writes about. As Isaiah writes uh, short passages of hope throughout this book, Christ is being emphasized. And then we get to perhaps one of the most clear pictures of Christ throughout the Old Testament in Isaiah's prophecy in the 53rd chapter. There's been much written concerning this chapter in the Bible. There's been many different commentaries on this Bible, and uh, I, I believe that John MacArthur has written an entire book simply upon this chapter of the Bible, but uh, I'm going to do what I feel led to do in this time and just simply talk about the context of a little bit about this passage. I'm sure that I can't do this passage justice, such as other deep expositors as John, MacArthur, John MacArthur, but uh, Isaiah 53, Isaiah is po- prophesying about a man called the suffering servant. But the context of Isaiah 53 actually starts in Isaiah 52, chapter 13. If you aren't familiar with uh, some of these contextual divisions, you can go back to my first episode, and I talk a little bit about how uh, Bible verses and Bible headings like numbers and chapters were not originally in the the manuscripts that were penned in the original languages by the original authors. This was something that happened later. You guys can check that out in my first episode. And then if you're also curious to know how context works, uh, we did a great podcast with Pastor Mike Brown, and he talked about how you can look at certain passages and there's headings in certain types of your Bible. Obviously, we know that those headings are not inspired, but they're good study help tools to understand what's happening in the text. And if you didn't hear, my air conditioning just kicked off, so that's great. But Isaiah 53, actually kicking back to Isaiah 52 verse 13, I'm just going to read this passage, but today our emphasis is going to be on Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5. But starting in Isaiah chapter 52 verse 13, it says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been seen told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Now starting in chapter 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. This is verse 5 I'm about to read. This is our uh, emphasis verse. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. 
Yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he has poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercessions for the transgressors. Man, that, that's a mouthful right there, but that is the entire context of Isaiah 53, starting in Isaiah 52:13. And I really, truly feel like you cannot divide this context up at all. You must take it as a whole. But as we've looked at this, uh, you can understand that this is prophetic about Jesus. He, it says in verse uh, 2, he had no form or majesty that we should look on him. It says, verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as from one men hid their faces. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. And then verse 5, here's where I'm going to be camping at for context is key, even though I've already put in almost 10 minutes before I've really hit what I'm going to be talking about today. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. I want to tell you, in the first part, he was quite literally pierced for our transgressions. Let me flip real quickly to John chapter 19 in the 34th verse. There's discussion concerning the literal piercing of Jesus' side by the biblical author, John. John chapter 19 verse 34 says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Jesus quite literally was pierced for our transgression. Jesus Christ was pierced. It literally says in the Bible. He was, the next part of Isaiah chapter 53, verse uh, 5 says, He was crushed for our iniquity. Go back to John chapter 19 in the first couple of verses. It says, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They literally whooped this man. They tortured this man. They, they, were, they crushed him. But why? was Jesus crushed. Back to Isaiah 53, we find out why he was crushed. He was crushed for our iniquities, just the same way he was pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. I, I, uh, old-time theologian wrote concerning this passage. I take it, uh, this is talking about the next part. It says, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. He says, I take it to denote simply concerning reconciliation. Christ was the price of our chastisement, which was due 
to us. In this passage, there's such a brilliant, excellent, wonderful piece of the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. He substituted what we could not ourselves atone for. He atoned for us. That way we might have what he had. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He imputes to us his righteousness. He gives us eternal life and we impute to him our sin. So we understand that this is talking about our spiritual redemption, our need of spiritual redemption, our need to be born again. And Jesus makes those things happen. Jehovah's suffering servant in this verse makes this happen. And then we get to this part. Hello, somebody. By his stripes we are healed, or by his wounds we are healed. In this passage, nothing can be found in ourselves except for destruction and death. In Christ alone is life and salvation. The context of this verse is not talking about physical healing. Hello, somebody. You've probably been to a borderline charismatic church before in the past where they begin to pray over someone whenever uh, they genuinely want God to heal someone, and uh, they, they begin to rip this verse out of this context, and they make it, and they twist it, and they make it mean whatever they want it to mean, and they say, uh, by his stripes you are healed, amen, in the name of Jesus. Please, you're healed. Well, that's not what this context is talking about. This context is clearly not talking about physical healing upon anyone. This context is talking about our spiritual reconciliation back to the person of the Lord, Jesus Christ. This, co- this context is clearly teaching that this is spiritual healing. And when he says, by his stripes or by his or with his wounds we are healed. The context is clearly teaching that this is spiritual healing, not a physical healing. God is reconciling us back to himself and healing our sinful state as fallen human beings. Well, you may look at me and you say, "Well, that's something brother Austin that I've heard my entire life. It must be right. What's wrong with praying in that way? What's wrong with with saying our Bible verses this way? What's, what's wrong with doing what we're doing here if we're using it in that way? Why in the world would you want to speak a message that is not accurately portraying what God has penned in his perfect, infallible, inerrant, inspired, sufficient, authoritative word? Why would you want to contradict that? Why would you want to take a verse out of its context? My goal as a pastor and as a Christian even, is to accurately represent what the scriptures have already spoken and apply that to the contemporary audience. I want to do that as accurately as I can. I, I, the point of this, of this podcast is to inform others that context is key. Isaiah 53.5 is not talking about physical healing or, or any kind of apostolic healing even. If you don't believe me, cross-reference your Bible because your Bible is the best interpreter of the Bible, not the man you're listening to in this podcast. Allow me to flip to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 24, and Peter begins to discuss this Bible verse that I just quoted. Starting in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, 
For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. This is talking about Christ's suffering that goes back to all the substitutionary atonement doctrine that we were talking about in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquity. And then Peter says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And then here's verse 24, where Peter quotes Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, or by his stripes you have been healed. What is the healing that he's talking about? Look back in this very exact same verse. He himself bore our sins. This is talking about how Christ heals us of our fallen state as humans, human beings. He heals us from our spiritual deadness, our spiritual corruptness, our spiritual bankruptcy. That is the healing that the Bible is teaching about in Isaiah 53 verse 5. It's not about a magic prayer that you pray whenever someone's sick because this passage is not physical healing. And it's a lot better and easier to understand this when you understand that context is key. You've been listening to the Context is Key podcast. For more information regarding the Context is Key podcast, feel free to follow me on Twitter at broaustin7. You can also follow me on Instagram at broaustinmccormick. Lastly, feel free to follow our Facebook page at Context is Key Podcast. Once again, I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. And don't forget, context is key.